The title for tonight's talk is Choosing to Walk the Path of Wisdom. Before we get into the meat of the reflection, let's pause for a moment and regard where we've come to date on this retreat and in our whole time together. In terms of this retreat, we're here for 10 days, so that's probably about measuring it in the smallest unit that we can imagine, that we can actually feel in any moment. That's probably about 900,000 seconds. Did you know we were spending 900,000 seconds together? And we've done probably a quarter of a million of those seconds. So uh, we've spent quite a bit of time together. And when you look at it in seconds, you realize just how fast it goes in terms of a Nietzsche. Mm -hmm. That you've spent a quarter of a million seconds? Wow. And as I mentioned this morning in the guided meditation, we can encounter our own uh, expectations or our great desires to be having something happen. We can have this preconceived idea as to what's supposed to be a good retreat. A cartoon that illustrates this. There are two monks sitting together and one's got this very frustrated look on his face like he's been complaining and the other one says, nothing happens next. This is it. <laughs> and guess what? <laughs> the rest of the retreat this is it. <laughs> because this is a, a yoga retreat, I get to share a cartoon that I can't ordinarily share, but it's, it's perfectly fine for, for this situation. There's a husband and wife, or at least a couple, lying in bed each reading, and one says to the other, it's not totally clear which one is saying this, the man or the woman. Not tonight, hon. I had a yogasm in class. <laughs> so, uh, we won't explore that subject any further. <laughs> Mark, the first evening, took us through our journey to date in terms of the mindfulness that we've been exploring, using this tool of mindfulness to gain insight. And he pointed the many uh, beneficial aspects of mindfulness and how it really does empower us in our practice. And he also took us back through in a very brief way what we spent the last retreat exploring, which was the Four Noble Truths. And again, seeing how coming to terms, living consciously with the Four Noble Truths, is also empowering both to our practice and to the well-being of our daily lives. And then last night, Anna took us through this uh, really vital teaching around Anicca and the importance of opening to the truth of Anicca for ourselves so that we have this personal realization of it. And so in these first two talks, 
two of the three characteristics that the Buddha uh, used to describe what life was like in this realm have been covered. The truth of suffering and the truth of anicca. And in the next couple of nights, we'll be looking at the truth of anatta in various ways. And Chip actually started some of that this morning in, in his uh, lecture this morning. Dukkha, anicca, and anatta represent gates into the Dharma, into this path of wisdom. When we realize for ourselves any one of these truths, we move into the realm where the other two can be realized. And as Anna said last night, there's a big difference between the conceptual understanding, which is an important understanding we'll see in the path of wisdom, that, that conceptual understanding is considered a, a, a key part of it, but still, it's conceptual understanding, and the intellectual understanding of Anicca versus this direct experience of Anicca. And it's this direct experience of Dukkha or Anicca or Anatta that is the, the beginning of the realization of wisdom. It's not really possible to describe for another person how you may have this direct experience of one of these three gates. You will have it in various degrees, many different ways and forms, if you stick with this practice. But each of us is capable of going through each of these gates. Depending on the circumstances of our lives and on the inclination of our personalities, we tend to lean more towards one than the other. But we all are capable of going through all three of the gates. To give you a, a little feeling about this in terms of poetry, to describe each of these gates just a little, the, the first is called For the Raindrop, and it's by Ghalib. For the raindrop, joy is entering the river. Unbearable pain becomes its own cure. Travel far enough into sorrow, tears turn to sign. In this way, we learn how water can die into air. When, after heavy rain, the storm clouds disappear, is it not that they've wept themselves clear to the end? If you want to know the miracle, how wind can polish a mirror, how the shining glass grows green in the spring. It's the roses unfolding, Galib, that creates the desire to see. In every color and circumstance, may the eyes be open for what comes. So this is opening for the world the way it is. And when we open to the world the way it is, we see the dukkha. Not that it's all dukkha. We've said this over and over again to you. But rather that Dukkha is a, an entwined part that, the, the, that that which we most value and that which is most painful for us are tied together. We don't get one without the other. The worldly winds, as Anna was describing last night. And so it is that it's our heart's opening to this that's this direct realization. It's kind of a heart wisdom 
just as the conceptual has maybe more mind to it, more thinking aspect. And the heart has this direct knowing. A poem that for me uh, relates to opening to a Nietzsche. It's called Old Shirt. One day, I reluctantly decided that a shirt of mine was no longer wearable. I loved that old shirt. I had it for 15 years. It fit like a glove. I tore it into rags today. Soon, someone will spread my ashes. This opening to the change, loving the old shirt, appreciating the old shirt, even as we tear it into rags, uh, appreciating, loving our bodies, as Anna was saying last night, and yet knowing they're going to ashes. This is the path of wisdom, the path of wisdom, of opening to how things are. And then in terms of anatta, just to give a little preview, uh, one way of, of getting just a first questioning about this, it's, it's a poem by James Hirschfeld called Moment. A person wakes from sleep and does not know for a time who she is, who he is. We all know that experience, huh? When you wake up and just... Uh, a person wakes from sleep and does not know for a time who she is, who he is. This happens in a lifetime once or twice. It has happened to you, no doubt. Some in that moment panic. Some sigh in pleasure. How each kind later envies the other, who must so love their lives. Grasping, not grasping, and how each can look so different on the front end. As we travel further into anatta through the path of wisdom, we gain much more clarity, much more understanding, and you'll see that for yourself in these coming days. So in choosing to follow the path of wisdom, we are choosing a developmental path, bhavana, there's a kind of, of becoming. We're, we're cultivating our own abilities that will lead us to wisdom. We will be exploring uh, what the Buddha meant by wisdom uh, this evening in a lot of different ways. But before I do that with you, I would actually like to hear two or three of you give me a definition of wisdom that you would use. And not, you're not trying to be right, but something personal to you. If you've heard me use a definition before, you're not eligible to answer this. <laughs> but otherwise, so someone just give us a definition here. What is wisdom? Patience. Patience. Okay, thank you. Making the right choices. Able to let go. Able to let go. Knowing things as they are. Couldn't hear you. Clarity. To live in harmony with the laws of the universe. To live in harmony with the laws of the universe. I would encourage each of you to develop 
a definition of wisdom for yourself. After all, if you're going to be on a path, you ought to be able to at least somewhat verbalize it to yourself and remind yourself. Many times we fail to give ourselves credit. So you're sitting here and you're sleepy or you're restless or there's this big disappointment in your life or a series of big disappointments or a lot of changes and you, know, you feel as though nothing's happening. Like the two monks in the cartoon that, you know, what happens next? Because you've lost your touch. You've lost the feeling that you're on your own development path. You are choosing a path of wisdom. You don't get to choose where the path goes, any path you walk, right? It goes where it goes. So maybe you're going to climb up the mountain and you've chosen, you know, the, the railroad grade. And it goes the way the railroad grade goes, up the mountain. That's just the way it is. And remembering this, remembering that you're showing up, you're making yourself available to walk the path. Very uh, useful in an inspiring way and a comforting way. One thing that the path of wisdom is not is illustrated in this cartoon where the two guys are sitting in a bar and one says to the other, I finally feel I can accept the things I'm too lazy to change. <laughs> I finally feel I can accept the things I'm too lazy to change. That is not what is meant by the path of wisdom. So my definition that I would offer you for this evening, uh, the, the one-line definition, and then I'll elaborate on it, is... Wisdom is the ability to apply what you have learned in all of your life. Wisdom is the ability to apply what you've learned. If you don't have knowledge of something, you can't be wise about it. But you can have a lot of knowledge and not get around to utilizing it, right? You want to think back to a few situations at work? Do you want to think back to some relationships? <laughs> You want to think about some parents and child situations where there was enough knowledge but not much wisdom. So wisdom is the ability to apply what you have learned. This is a working definition. We're, the Buddha has a, a particular orientation when he uses the word, but I want to get us in the ballpark first. I'm, I'm not in any hurry to, to get to the Buddha because I want us to come along at our speed. He's always there waiting for us. So wisdom in a given moment is the ability to discern inner qualities and essential relationships such that you do not have to add to the suffering of yourself or others. The ability to discern inner qualities and essential relationships. A wise person has the mindfulness or the presence as Mark was describing the other night, to discern the wholesome from the unwholesome in the way of goals and to discern between skillful and unskillful means and the ability to live according to their deepest intentions. So this wisdom is something that can be lived. 
Knowledge is a known thing, but wisdom is something that can be lived. In a Western Dictionary, uh, synonyms for wisdom, interestingly <coughs> enough, the first one is insight. So here we are, practicing Vipassana, the path of insight, the path of wisdom. And then the other word, which uh, I had not known that this was going to be there, was sagacity, which means this quickness and acuteness of perception, a keenness of perception with soundness of judgment, an ability to see what is relevant and significant. And I like all of that to help round out this feeling of wisdom. We can see what's relevant. We're, we're, we have a keenness of our perception and a soundness of judgment when we're coming from our wisdom. So our passions may be saying, do X or Y, say this thing, tell this person off, respond to this unkind remark with an equally unkind remark. But the wisdom can intervene because it's quick. It perceives what's wholesome and unwholesome, and it gives us a choice. Thus, in choosing the path of wisdom, you could say in one sense, we're choosing the path of choice in our own lives. Choice meaning freedom. We have the choice, we have the freedom to choose based on our values, not on what's arising in this moment. When um, I work with leaders and I, one of the things I do is I uh, have an institute that works with leaders in terms of sustainable personal leadership, that is helping the leaders work with their own inner life in such a way that allows them to sustain themselves as leaders. And one of the, the, the things that I teach is this cultivation of knowing what is critical path because every leader needs to know what is critical path in any given project or any goal for their organization or whatever it is. And then a second thing that I teach in that regard is knowing how to identify priority. So this is the critical path, but what's the priority for right now? And then, interestingly, a third thing I teach is what's the gating factor? Because in any sort of... Uh, uh, accomplishment, any goal you have, there, there's one or more things that's a gating factor. You've got to have that. There's nothing that you can substitute. You've got to go through this gate. It's just the way it is. You have to identify those things and get ready for that. In the same way, through wisdom, we know what is the critical path towards our own well-being. We already have quite a bit of knowledge in this way. We forget we have it, and even more, we forget to use it. But we have quite a bit of wisdom. We have applied ourselves. Wisdom is available to some degree already if we remember to do it. So in relation to critical path, knowing what's critical, knowing what's a priority in our lives right now. So many of you are going through changes in your life right now. Wisdom will tell you what's the priority here. And likewise, some of you uh, uh, feel frustrated in one form or another, either in your practice or in your daily life, and identifying what's the gating factor. So for one yogi today, for what they wanted, it was really more retreat time. 
when they stopped and paused and asked this question for themselves, not my telling them, when they asked for themselves, the answer was, I really need more retreat time for what I'm wanting to, to do in terms of my relationship in the Dharma. And the critical path was something had to change in terms of their work life because there was so much emphasis on the work life, not really room for more retreats. And so there was, there was a change there. It was this kind of wisdom that says, oh, this is what's important and then this is how I go about it. Wisdom in Pali is panya, P-A-N-N-A, panya. And it's sometimes translated as uh, knowing and sometimes as understanding. Mindfulness in Pali is, is sati. So we've done a lot of teaching of mindfulness, of sati. Wisdom, in one sense, is sati panya. It's mindfulness with wisdom. So you can have uh, wrong mindfulness. You can have the kind of mindfulness that a thief has, that these financial uh, fraudsters, these Ponzi schemes, they had tremendous mindfulness in some ways to pull off these very complex things. But that's not, that's not, uh, that's not samasati. It's not wise or right mindfulness. It's, it's, the Buddha specifies this, that there is wrong mindfulness. So mindfulness has a, a wisdom factor. Mindfulness is part of the Eightfold Path. That's the mindfulness that we're cultivating. We get to that kind of mindfulness with the panya, with the wisdom. So satipanya. When I first heard uh, this uh, teaching about wisdom in this way, I don't want to think how many decade, decades ago, but a long, long time ago, I was like, oh, yes. And I immediately wrote it in the front of my calendar that I use every day in big letters, Satipanya. And year after year, I would transfer that into my next calendar because I understood that that's what I wanted to be cultivating. That's what I was practicing with Satipanya, that I was on a path of wisdom, that this was my path. Wisdom is one of the five spiritual faculties. Faith is one, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. I'll repeat, faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Of those five, there are only two of the faculties that represent a path. One is faith and the other is wisdom. Uh, faith is sada. So for many people in your world of teaching yoga, those of you who teach yoga, many of your students are, are quite drawn to the devotional aspect. They, they really like these devotional things. They and they engage in a lot of the rituals of it. They, th that, that is the way for them to cultivate their own development is through this faith, through this devotional kinds of practice. For others, and I have to say most of the people that I've encountered who are really drawn to the mindfulness practice, we tend to be uh, drawn to the path of wisdom. 
One doesn't exclude the other, but there, there's an emphasis on one or the other. Uh, last Saturday, Mark and Anna and I spent the uh, Saturday morning with a, uh, uh, a wonderful uh, monk, Bhikkhu Bodhi, who, who uh, I'm going to be reading tonight from uh, one of his latest books called In the Buddha's Words, and he has translated much of the suttas uh, for us, uh, the Majjhima Nikaya, the, the one that we recommended that you use in, the, uh, in this, this training program. This was Bhikkhu Bodhi's work. And we, he was talking about this choice between a faith and wisdom and how as you get started, if you go through faith, you go through this devotional feeling, you go through generosity, and at some point you come to the wisdom. And if you go through the path of wisdom, at some point you come to this devotional feeling, you, you come to this generosity. And each way there comes uh, this realization of a certain amount of, of renunciation in the path. Because one has to say no to the impulses of greed, hatred, and delusion. And so whichever way you start, you end up with the fullness. But just to reflect on uh, the, how wisdom is central in this way. Wisdom in the Buddha's teaching is directed to a special domain of understanding. It's sometimes referred to as the soul of wisdom. That is, things grow in the soul of wisdom. Your understanding grows in the soul of wisdom. Your freedom comes through the soul of wisdom. You can... You can plant in the soul of wisdom and understanding will grow. The three characteristics that's ref uh, uh, referred to in terms of this soul of, of wisdom is the ability to analyze, the, to do reflection, to do an, an analyze, to investigate what's true, to investigate your experience, and then this uh, ability to, dis to discriminate, to discriminate what's wholesome and unwholesome, to what's skillful and unskillful, to what's timely, not timely, what's right speech and not right speech, and then to discern, to discern how things are, to realize these three characteristics that we've been discussing. So vipassana is a, 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 a practice of seeing how it is or seeing that it's like this. And mindfulness is a skillful means within this practice of vipassana. And one way you could say it, you could say that, that Vipassana is the wisdom path, or you could say wisdom is the primary tool in terms of Vipassana. Just as a little footnote, uh, the Theravadan lineage of which we're part of is not always identified so much as this emphasis on wisdom. But if you actually look at the suttas, it's throughout the Buddha's teachings. He uses the word wisdom over and over again. And so it's, it's, it's not just like insight in the sense of mindfulness, but it is, it is this uh, sati panya, this mindfulness with wisdom. That's what the Buddha was teaching in the Pali Canon. In the way the Buddha teaches choosing the path of wisdom, 
you first expose yourself conceptually to the understandings. And then uh, from the conceptual understanding, just as Anna was describing last night, you drop into this direct experience, the felt experience of how things are. The truth of the three characteristics of Anicca, Anatta, and Dukkha, the, the, the realizations of the Four Noble Truths, all the Twelve Insights of the Four Noble Truths, uh, all the, the core teachings of the Buddha. You, you drop into this felt experience after the conceptual. Now, it's certainly true that you will hear a teaching and you'll go, that's what I've been experiencing. So that you've already been aware of something and the conceptual description from a Dharma teacher describes to you what you've been working with or what you realized two years ago or had a big moment around or something. This is not unusual at all. And that's great. So it's not like it's so clean, oh, it's just, it's all conceptual and then it's experience. It's this interspersion of experience and our using our thinking capacity, our reflective, our investigative capacity to, to know it in both ways. We can sometimes forget the direct experience and we can uh, sort of uh, think, well, I've, I've, I've been to retreat and I've been exposed to this and so now I know the Dharma and yes, I'm practicing but not necessarily have chosen the path of wisdom. So we can get a little confused about what is attachment and not attachment. This is a cartoon of a couple that's uh, clearly on vacation and they've gone up to the lost baggage area of claims and they're saying with some heat to this attendant, with our lives, it's all about the journey. With our luggage, it's definitely about the destination. <laughs> Not really, not really. Wisdom understands that if you make your, your, your baggage the priority, it's not going to be much of a journey. So dropping back in over and over again, just sitting here now, how am I relating to this? Do I really believe I'm on a path of wisdom? Is, is this a priority? Could I sit with myself over these next days holding this is my truth? Is this something for me to reflect on? Maybe it's not my truth. How do I feel about this? He's saying all this about wisdom and what the Buddha means when he says wisdom. So how do I feel about that? To really let it in. The Buddha uses various images to refer to wisdom. These, O oh monks, these four lights, what for? The light of the moon, the light of the sun, the light of fire, and the light of wisdom. Of these four lights, the light of wisdom is supreme. These four lights, what for? The light of the moon, the light of the sun, the light of fire, 
and the light of wisdom. Of these four lights, the light of wisdom is supreme. He uses another analogy as of wisdom as a knife. And if this is a little gruesome, so I'm not going to read it. <laughs> but he, he uh, uses the analogy. I'll just start it out. Sisters, suppose a skilled butcher or his apprentice were to kill a cow and carve it up with a sharp butcher's knife. And then he describes how it, that, it's, that the skin is, is uh, taken away without damaging any parts of it. And then he says, well, if that skin is put back on what's been separated from it, is it the same as it was before? So here's the skin on all the parts of the cow, but is it the same as it was before? Is it? You answer just what the sisters answered. No, indeed. When we separate from our attachments, when we separate from our clinging, we're still in this life, but it's not the same as it was before. We're still in this body, but it's not the same as it was before. And so wisdom separates us from those things that, are, that would impede our growth. But it, it's not destroying them in that sense. It's just separating. It's, if there's a, it's, it's cutting through. So there you are, um, uh, uh, someone in, in your kitchen job uh, did something that really got on your nerves. I mean, you got really irritated with them. Well, they're, they're too slow. Or they're not doing their share. Or they're always, they talk to me when I'm doing my job. And we're not supposed to be talking. Whatever it is. And so there's this thing that where you start to think badly about them. Wisdom would separate you from that reactivity of mind. And go, oh no, this is a person who's, who's just like me here and doing the best she can or he can. Oh. And then with wisdom, you'd say, oh, well, so what skillful means here? So that sharpness of mind, that keen perception, that sagacity that I was referring to, that you can, that you can separate. One way that wisdom is cultivated is through wise attention. Wise attention is a little different than uh, the mindfulness itself. Uh, uh, attention is this kind of active element of the mindfulness. So you can have an intention, and then to, when you're going to manifest your intention, you have to pay attention. And all of that is within the mindfulness. So you're mindful of your intention, and you're mindful to use attention to, uh, to get the job done to be able to actually manifest what you wish to manifest in your life. And so it is said by the Buddha that, that this, this quality of wise attention leads to a breakthrough in wisdom. And the Buddha lists eight causes and conditions for obtaining wisdom. There are, O oh monks, these eight causes and conditions for obtaining the wisdom of fundamental to the spiritual life when it has not been obtained and for bringing about the increase, maturation, and fulfillment by development of the wisdom that has already been obtained. 
So these eight conditions will bring about wisdom in an area where there is not any wisdom. And then when there is already wisdom, these eight conditions would bring wisdom further along. The first of these is being with the teacher or a fellow monk in the Buddhist term, we could say lay person teacher, being with a teacher or a fellow monk acting as a teacher and treating this, this person that's acting as the teacher with a sense of respect and affection so that you are inspired in your behavior and in the way you go about it. You, you are paying attention because, oh, I'm here with this teacher. I'm going to pay attention. And then the second of the conditions is while being with the teacher from time to time, uh, going up to the teacher and asking, what is the meaning of this? So from uh, time to time, having someone that we can get a little more clarity from in relation to a particular area or issue. So it may be an understanding. Someone today was asking about the five aggregates, and I realized that we hadn't done a particular thorough job of describing the five aggregates, those things that make up any given moments of experience. So a, a, a wise question to ask. One of the misconceptions that many people have is uh, they feel as though they have to have a lot more contact with the teacher than, in my experience, is necessary. Because in our time, there's so many tapes and books and ways to hear the teachings. And oftentimes, our particular question is a question that will answer itself if we keep listening to the Dharma. But there's times, there's times when we really need to speak with someone. And so this is one of the conditions that will lead to wisdom. And then the third, having learned the Dharma, he or she dwells drawn in, 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 uh, withdrawn in two ways. So we live virtuous by body and virtuous by our mind. We have this kind of uh, renunciation where we are not doing things that are unskillful. Because when we're... When we act unskillful, we uh, cloud our mind and we can't hear, we can't learn, we can't develop because we get at cross purposes with ourselves and we, we're, we're lost. Fourth condition is that having learned the Dhamma in some way, having remembered what we've learned to some degree, that's why we have to repeat it over and over again, you will hear so many talks on, on Dukkha. You'll hear so many talks on Nietzsche. And if you're like me, you'll need every one of them. I'm always reminded of something that I had forgotten in some way. I'm re-inspired over and over again. So having learned this, having memorized it, uh, or having remembered it in some way, and having consolidated it, that is that you, that you make the teachings your own. When I was asking you to create your own definition of wisdom, that's to make it your own. And the Buddha says, in this way, the Dharma is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. So when we've got a little bit of understanding, it's good. When we've got a moderate amount of understanding, it's good. When we've got a lot of understanding, it's good. Because we are, in, we are integrating it into our own understanding. We're making it our own. A sixth condition is that he or she is energetic. That is that we have the we apply ourselves to the path. A seventh condition uh, that the Buddha lists is in the midst of sangha, 
he or she does not engage in rambling or pointless talk. So here we're in silence. So there's, there's really none of that. And you can think to your own life and a couple of you were talking about the, uh, how the, at the end of the last retreat, it had been hard to go back into your daily life. Excuse me. <coughs> and one of the things that was hard about it was all the stimulation and all of that, just the, the, the endless choices, the noise, the, uh, the people wanting things. We get caught in all of that stimulation. But we are capable, even in our daily lives, of not engaging so much so that we have time and have the mind space, that emptiness that's so nice in here and that silence when we're sitting together. We can have some access to that in our personal lives. And then the eighth condition, he or she dwells contemplating arising and passing in the five aggregates, these five aspects that make up uh, a moment's time. The, the, I'm not going to try to explain them, but the form, the, the, the feeling, the perception, the volition, and the consciousness. And Chip was referring somewhat to those today, and uh, they'll probably come up again in these other talks. So you'll hear that again. Anna last night was talking about the, the, the necessity of at some point experiencing directly this truth of Anicca. Arising and passing is another way of coming to that truth. When we see arising and passing, that is, that is an understanding we go through, this, the, the impermanence of everything in terms of the path of wisdom. And that understanding, that direct knowing that everything's arising and passing is the right view of the Eightfold Path, the wise view of the Eightfold Path. So that's the beginning. That's the beginning. And when we have this understanding that there is, uh, that there is suffering and that, there's, uh, that the suffering has a cause which we can understand and abandon and when, we can, uh, and when we understand that there is an end to that suffering and that there's a path to the end, that is the, that, those realizations are the ultimate of the path of wisdom. That is the fulfillment, the flowering of wisdom. All the 12 insights Bhikkhu Bodhi describes in here, uh, the, these realization of these 12 insights are the full flowering of the, of the path of wisdom. And, and so from the beginning, when we, when we go, oh, there's, there's, this, there's this unsatisfactoriness to my life, there's this sense that it's not you know, getting more of what I want, and the, the, sometimes I get what I want, sometimes I don't, trying to just go around and around that circle, that isn't enough. There's not enough meaning in that. There's not enough peace. There's not enough sense of well-being. And therefore, we turn to the Dharma. That's a moment of wise understanding. That's a moment of wisdom. And that is your beginning. And because you chose this path, then you end up with these realizations. So in your beginning is your end, as I was saying on our opening night. If we don't turn this way, then we won't end up here. Just as if you were 
if you were going down to the dining hall and you went up the hill and kept going the other way, it would be eventually, maybe, in some period of time, if you walked through China and all, you could come back. <laughs> but there is, there is a big difference in this right understanding of choosing, of choosing the path. So the beginning really matters. The beginning is the, uh, has an incorporation of the end. Can you feel this? As we go through this retreat, you, uh, we're inviting you to a deeper level of experiencing the Dhamma. Very consciously doing so. And in, in doing that, you're, you're choosing whether or not to do that, whether or not to, to open yourself to these kinds of insights, more to, to commit to it. And so that's, that's a beginning. And then in the end, you have more understanding. So each time you practice the Dharma, you have more understanding. And this brings you to a new beginning. Every level of insight we have is the new beginning for the rest of our practice. Just as in your yoga practice, when, when you learn to do a, a, a pose that, that, that involves a, a, a later pose of more complexity, that is, in, in learning that pose, that first pose, you're then at the beginning of learning to do the pose of more complexity. I'm not being, uh, speaking in tautology here, I'm speaking in a felt sense of noticing where you are, of noticing how it is. If we don't take ourselves seriously, we don't tend to move forward on the path. So in taking ourselves seriously, that's a beginning, and it brings us to a series of ends, which will be new beginnings, because as we're, we're devoting more time to it, we gain more, and it goes on and on. It's, it's, a, it's the wholesome path. It's, this, uh, it's a whole chain that leads to freedom. We have to know this, because life's going to distract us over and over again. You will be distracted in these remaining days of this retreat by thinking about your home life. You, you'll be thinking about, oh, well, they think badly of me because I don't sit as well or because, uh, because of this or that about me. You, there will be something that will distract you in a way that you don't get on with just showing up in the practice. And so this, uh, this quality of beginning again. So you realize, oh, I was lost. So now I begin again. You wake up to that ending of I got lost or I've been distracted or I'm planning for the 20th time what I'm going to say to my significant other when I get home. Enough of that. That was an ending of that. Now you're ready for this new beginning because you realize enough of that. So we do this over and over again and certainly a lot in our daily life. The Buddha describes this uh, realization of the Four Noble Truths in, in a... a very lyrical way. He's, he's, he's describing each of these 12 insights, each of the four noble truths. And having realized a noble truth, he says the following. This is the noble truth. This is an example. This is of dukkha. This is the noble truth of suffering. Thus, monks, in regard to things unheard before, there arose in me vision, knowledge, wisdom, penetration, and light so full it's so rich it's the complexity it's it's not this little thing it's the fullness of it 
this this sense of vision that is you see you you can see you can see, that's a that's a neurological uh, feeling that we have some of us use that language of oh i see now others would use other language but this is one of the main doors i see i have vision i have knowledge i have this understanding of it wisdom i've penetrated it i know the felt sense of it and light it's it's uh, it's clear it's clear and so uh, in small ways and large, we can have this. Oh, about this, you know, this, uh, this old grudge I've held against my parent or my friend. Or, oh, I see in that situation at work where I, where I was so mad at other people for so long, I'm only making myself miserable by holding on to that anger. It's just the way it was. It was causes and conditions. Or this thing we blamed ourselves for. Oh, was causes and conditions. It was not skillful, but that's where I was at that time. The causes and conditions in, in my being at that point, that's, that's what led to that. And therefore we can release it. Not that we don't take responsibility, but we cease clinging to it. And that allows us to move on. That's a moment of wisdom. That's a moment of insight that's arisen. So when we when we get to this uh, situation with ourselves where we're able to apply what we've learned, what is it that we've learned that we can apply? I would suggest to you that a few, just a few of the hundreds of things you've learned is that you have learned that indeed your life and every person's life is at times quite difficult most of the times unreliable, and that's the way it is in this realm, that you now already know this if you just open to it. And, and wisdom would, would determine how you relate to this. If you get defined by life being difficult or something untowards happening to you, that's not wisdom. If it's simply a characteristic of your life, but you're not defined by it, that's wisdom. So that's wisdom in action. And wisdom is not a being, but a process. Just as, again, Chip was saying this morning. It's an activity. It's a stream of activity. It's not a state of arrival. It's something that's lived. It's lived wisdom. And so you can say, oh, uh, to, be, to, to not be defined by something, but to merely let it characterize the moment, that's wisdom. A second thing that you've learned is that sometimes things are pleasant and sometimes things are unpleasant. We've all seen this over and over again, haven't we? And to understand that when we're reactive because it's pleasant or unpleasant, we get into a reactive mind state, that's not wisdom. But when we, uh, we stay in a responsive mind state to it, we don't let the fact that it's unpleasant determine our actions or that it's pleasant determine our actions, but rather let our values our deep values, our wise intention determine our actions. That's wisdom. This is applied wisdom, lived wisdom. Likewise, when grasping and clinging, contraction and uh, expectations or demands arise and we get caught in them, if we stay in those, then we're choosing suffering. That's not wise. If we recognize, oh, this is one form of clinging, then that is wisdom. When we look at the fact that practice matters, 
that when we practice over time, our lives improve, we know the Dharma better, we gain wisdom. When we choose not to practice, that's not wisdom. When we choose to practice, that is wisdom. We are trainees, we're practitioners. The practitioners isn't a, we use this word all the time, but I've never been able to find it in a dictionary, but I like that word practitioners. When, when we can recognize mind states through mindfulness, and if we go with the mind states, even when they're unwholesome, that's not wise. But if we go towards wholesome mind states, that's wisdom. That's lived wisdom. The end of the path of wisdom is the extinction of greed, hatred, and delusion. This is the Buddha's teaching. The extinction of greed, hatred, and delusion. Not just in this moment, but the very roots, the very seeds from which they could arise in the future. That's a long ways, maybe. Maybe not for some here. How can I know? It feels like that to me, for myself. But so what? I have to spend my time in some way until my time ends. Why would I choose something other than the path of wisdom? To live moment to moment as best I am able in wisdom. The end result of all of this from the extinction of greed, hatred, and delusion is uh, sometimes referred to as nibbana, meaning that the greed, the fire of greed, the fire of greed, hatred, the fire of delusion have all been extinguished. They've been cooled. And I thought I would end with a, a recitation of the Buddha's 33 synonyms for nibbana, other ways that he describes this end of greed, hatred, and delusion. Monks, I will teach you the unconditioned and the path leading to the unconditioned. Goes on with that. And then he says, and monks, what is the unconditioned? The destruction of lust, the destruction of hatred, the destruction of delusion. This is called the unconditioned. Thus, one of the words for nibbana, or the words we sometimes use as enlightenment. And what, monks, is the path leading to the unconditioned? Mindfulness directed to the body. This is called the path leading to the unconditioned. Here we are in this whole training. We've so emphasized the body. Monks, I will teach you the uninclined, the taintless, the truth, the far shore, the subtle, the very difficult to see, the unaging, the stable, the undisintegrating, the unmanifest, the unproliferated, the peaceful, the deathless, the sublime, the auspicious, the, the, the secure, the destruction of craving, the wonderful, the amazing, the unailing, the unailing state, nibbana, the unafflicted, dispassion, purity, freedom, non-attachment, the island, the shelter, the, the, the uh, asylum, the refuge, the destination, and the path leading to the destination. All of these different words. The phrase that I like best for myself is the unborn, unmanifest, uh, unborn, unmanifest, and unconditioned. When we sit here in our silence, we get a little hint of that on occasion. Maybe it's the silence in the room, not the silence in our own heads. 
Or maybe it's during the loving kindness that we feel that. Or maybe it's when we're doing our walking meditation and we feel at, he, at ease with harmony with nature. Ah, there is a way to dwell without tension, to not be caught in that which is unsatisfactory. And thus, we are drawn to the path of wisdom. So let's sit for a moment. old shirt. One day I reluctantly decided that a shirt of mine was no longer wearable. I loved that old shirt. I had it for 15 years. It fit like a glove. I tore it into rags today. Soon someone will spread my ashes. Thank you for your kind attention. And uh, may these words serve you in your own path of wisdom. Time for walking. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.